This is Streamed and Screened, a podcast from Lee Enterprises about movies and TV shows that are worth watching, uh, that are coming out brand spanking new. This episode, we're going to be talking a lot about Thor. We're going to be talking about sort of uh, the state of summer blockbusters and movies being back with a whole bunch of $100 million openings. Uh, we'll also have an interview with... Chris Williams, the director of The Sea Beast, which starts Friday. It's in some cities right now. It's Netflix's huge, huge, huge animated film that they've got coming this summer. I will predict right now it's going to be in the running for best animated film. Interesting. The voice that you are hearing is the one and only Bruce Miller, entertainment reporter par excellence, emeritus. <laughs> I'm just going to keep gilding the lily here and just... <laughs> putting hats on hats are all these these words for old which are kind of <laughs> but dignified i have been doing since the dark ages i have been there talking to all of the the big stars i remember when they had faces back then also as always we have uh bringing the young quotient the young whippersnapper coming into the world jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, formerly of the Globe Gazette. That's right, Chris. I am uh, I am 16 years young, and uh, I just <laughs> with a wealth of uh, knowledge and experience. You know, kids on the TikTok love you. If you work hard enough, you can find <laughs> it. <laughs> that is Jared McNett. Uh, he is not 16, and me out here in, in Madison, Wisconsin. Chris Lay is my name. I am the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises, and. Uh, yeah, and the three of us have been doing this for about two and a half years now. And yeah, we're having a good time. Good time with it. So we had the 4th of July, right? What was the July. big film on the 4th of July? Minions. Minions. Did you go? No. Jared, <laughs> did you go? I, I did not. I, I let so, my uh, fellow uh, Minions uh, acolytes down. I will say one of the reasons I did not go is because I was camping, which, you know, if you're making a point to unplug, you're not really gonna, you know, bring the, the projector and the, and the big screen and the, you know. What? What? I know, you have? I know. I'm, I'm not gonna. You were glamping. That's what I'm you were glamping, doing. yes. But there was a teenager who was with us and she had seen Minions and said it was one of her favorite movies of all time. So they've got the, uh, the you know, 14 year old girl uh, quotient locked down based on this uh, woefully small sample size. <laughs> of the three of us, I did go. And what did you think? It does bear out my divorce dad theory. I saw a lot of divorce dads there with their kids and they were trying to figure out the treats and the, uh, how do we share a, a popcorn? You know, that I, I was watching that as all transpired. But Minnie's is misnamed. Um, because really it isn't the minions at all. You see more of Gru than you do of the minions. The minions are around, but it's not their origin story. It's more like the story of Gru when he was a little kid. And I find that kind of disingenuous. What I liked about it was that it starts in the 70s and his first kind of big nasty thing he does, he invites people to go see Jaws, but Jaws is sold out. So he throws a smoke bomb in the theater, clears the theater, and then he has the theater all to himself. And then it kind of escalates from there and he wants to be part of the vicious six. And um, 
it's like I say, it's more about him than it is about the minions, but you do get the three, Kevin, Stuart, and Bob. Did you know they had names? Those three get a little bit of play, but not enough for my taste. I really thought that they shortchanged the minions and they should do it a real minions that you'd like, you know, look at the questions you have. What is that language they're speaking? Where do they come from? Why are they yellow? Why do they only wear denim? There are a lot of things that you could ask about the minions that we don't know. No answers here. Those are all mysteries that should remain unsolved. It's much more enjoyable to, to keep it mystified as opposed to demystified. But even Gru's mom doesn't get in there that much. And she's voiced by Julie Andrews. You'd think she'd be in more than two scenes and she's not. It's, it is what it is. And all that vicious villain thing, other than when they name them at the beginning, you don't get a sense of who each one is. So there's a lot of missed opportunity, but the, what they did do is look at the catalog of songs that had something um, negative to say, you're no good. So they have Linda Ronstead singing, you're no good. They have, you can't always get what you want. It's all stuff that are, you know, kind of like, just be glad you're here. Bad to the bone. Yep. Yep. You got them. You know, the minions, would it be like, like the boys are back in town? It could well have been in there. You know what? To its credit, under 90 minutes. Very, very good. And I must say that a lot of those kids are very sharp in terms of how to meet out the popcorn. And if you have an extra cup, how you pour a cup of Coke for dad. It's, they were very good at it. It was fun to watch that part. And it was full. When I was there, it was full. We'll circle back to that in a little bit. Speaking about, uh, you know, big, big movies. I mean, this is turning out to be one of the bigger summers for, for movies, actually, already. And, and a lot of that has to do with Top Gun. You know, the other thing is we've got a full slate of Marvel films. The next of which is Thor, Love and Thunder, coming out this weekend. Jared, I know that you are real, like, you just don't have any interest in, in the big superhero franchises. Except for Batman. And even Batman, it, it's really qualified based on who the director is and who, who Batman is. So, yeah, even that investment is not a full investment. But it almost speaks to the different kinds of franchises. And I, I mean, I'm not going to you know beat on this too hard because we've talked about it previously. But Batman is a franchise where you can swap out the Batman. You can swap out the Batsuit, whether it's got nipples or not. Directors can come in and put new spins on that character, whereas... Marvel has tried to keep everything very consolidated and having a visual and narrative through line through everything that's really consistent in the same way that a, you know, a Big Mac in Vermont is going to taste the same as a Big Mac in Tallahassee. I'm looking forward to it. I know that of, of the three of us, I'm the one that is way more into superhero movies in general, even though that's still tempered you know, there's a certain, you know, fan base for these movies that, you know, makes it their identity. And I'm, I'm certainly not on those lines, but one of the things when I got back into reading comic books a few years ago, one of the things I jumped on was the, the God Butcher series of Thor comics, which is what a lot of this is, you know, lifted from. And it's great. You know, speaking of Batman, Christian Bale as Gore, the God Butcher, it worked really, really well in the comics, and it'll be interesting to see 
if the the plot which is really wild and i mean he, he does exactly what it says on the tin he, he butchers gods that's the that's his whole thing in the comics it works whether or not that's going to translate to the big screen uh, is a little different and it's also they're bringing in they're bringing back natalie portman and she's going to be taking over the helm of thor which is another thing from the comics but those two storylines don't overlap in the comics so they're kind of jumbling those two together and conflating everything in an interesting way which again could work or could be a little bit too convoluted and then you know they're also reestablishing the new asgard which is another you know comics thing so they're they've got a lot of balls in the air that they're trying to stick the landing on and again i'm optimistic with taika watiti that it's gonna come together he's done a great job with the the other thor movies that he's done i don't think this is a spoiler for anybody um but you know just looking at the cast list for thor this this might be one of those things that gets you in there one of my favorite parts of previous thors is when loki takes over uh, as odin uh, like a fake odin um and then has everybody kind of act out you know versions of history that make him that, that make loki uh you know the the hero as opposed to thor uh, you get sam neil playing an actor version of odin and you get matt damon playing an actor version of loki which is really fun and goofy and yeah chris hemsworth comes back he he seems to be of the this you know class of marvel actors he seems the one that's the most content just to keep going he doesn't seem to really have any interest in other stuff which is you know, kind of bounced a few other people out, just kind of getting burnt out on it. But yeah, Natalie Portman is Jane Foster. Well, his franchise has really morphed. Um, it wasn't this funny to begin with. Now it's all done for laughs. And I like that. I think that's great. Because I don't know that Ant-Man really carried that. I don't know that they were good at kind of making him the funny guy, especially when you have Deadpool kind of hanging out there who's really funnier. So this is easily a good opportunity for the humor to come through with all this whatever. It'll be interesting to see where Ant-Man goes uh, and how funny that is. It's, that's always been a little bit more of a dry thing, but I, I agree. I definitely think that Thor found its, its feet as a, as a character and as a franchise direction with Ragnarok and taking the wind out of uh, Hemsworth sales and you know leaning so hard into the the bloviating you know aspect of him where Kenneth Branagh notably had has voiced some problems <laughs> with with his uh you know directing version and kind of going up against the the Marvel establishment uh, having to fight for the occasional Dutch angle and then the second movie Thor Dark World I defy anyone to tell me the plot of that movie not just anyone on uh, currently in this conversation, but just anywhere. I, I don't know if anyone could tell you the plot of that movie. Without Loki, Thor would have been dead by now. You mean the, as a franchise? You bet. They needed Loki to really give it a kind of a shift because as a, it, it looked like one of those Clash of the Titans kind of Ray Harryhausen things where you go, oh, geez, I don't want to see this. And then Loki came in and kind of stirred things up and made it a little, a little possible to do a humor a little uh, bigger. And it's there now. I think they refined this one. It's ready to roll. And I wouldn't doubt that it'd be one of the biggest uh, films of the summer. 
I mean, what, I mean, so far we've had, I mean, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, Thor 11, or no, Spider-Man was just at the tail end of last year, right? And then we'll also have Black Panther, as long as they can hit their release schedule for that, which is still maybe up in the air. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in for, uh, for Thor. And I guess speaking of blockbusters, what are we, uh, are our movies back officially, Jared? Yes, and uh, it's all because uh, of Gru, you know? Gru, Gru has risen. He has risen indeed. And uh, along with Gru rising, the entire uh, movie industry has, uh, has risen as well. This past weekend, Minions made like $108 million, which was a 4th of July weekend record, which is kind of insane to, uh, to think about. Jurassic World made like $145 million its first weekend. Top Gun Maverick obviously is still doing well and made like $126 million its first weekend. Top Gun Maverick is already past the billion mark for worldwide. Yep. And then, uh, you know, kind of early start of summer, if you want to throw May in as uh, early summer, uh, Doctor Strange made $187 million just in its uh, first weekend, too. So that's a pretty good uh, stretch of time for, for cinema. Yep. Crew is the one who did it. Tom Cruise. He was the one who got <laughs> going. The rise of crew. The rise of crew. Yeah. Because that really made people think, ah, you know what? I'm going to the theater. I don't care. I've waited two years for this thing. We're headed in there. And they went. And I think now the door is open. And no matter what's rising in any kind of medical context, people are going in. They're starting to get to the sweet spot of bringing things into streaming, finding the right window for that. I know Dr. Strange got brought over to Disney just, uh, I think two weeks ago, maybe. I mean, which is relatively quick. Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was streaming on Paramount pretty quick. It seemed like after that, I would not be surprised if Lightyear <laughs> ends up streaming relatively quick. Um, I think uh, Batman also ended up on HBO somewhat quickly. Whereas Top Gun, they are going to hold off on putting that on any streaming service for as long as they possibly can, just because that's a, that's been the juggernaut of like, there is no, honestly, outside of Thor. I mean, Top Gun's probably going to be in the top five for, you know, the next, you know, month, maybe as long as it's in theaters. Paramount Plus will need it when they don't have Yellowstone to kind of jumpstart their subscriptions. They'll just uh, grab another another year and put it in front they of Yellowstone. And <laughs> Harrison Ford is in another one. So just know they've got another one hanging out there. They're, they're all, well, you know, you talk about little indies that um, could. There was one I saw this week that is going in that direction. And it's called Doula. It's produced by Chris Pine. And it's about, you know, it's a lot of people. And I wish I could tell you any of the names. I can't tell you any of the names, but the actors all look very familiar. They look like the kind of people who are maybe in bit parts in a lot of movies in this thing as major characters. And it's about, she's a, a woman is a basketball coach for lack of a better term. She's pregnant with her um, boyfriend's child. I don't know if he's ne necessarily a boyfriend, but they're together. And she decides that she needs, um, she wants to go on, she wants all the drugs at the thing. And he thinks, well, maybe we should have a doula. And then she says, oh, well, I, yeah, I'd like a doula. I think I could use a doula, um, but I still want to go to the hospital and have all the drugs. Well, there's this stray guy who comes in who is, I don't know, some kind of new age guy who 
his mother kind of delivered everybody and was friends with everybody. And he comes in and he kind of upsets the apple cart for all of this. And it's, it's funny. And Chris Pine makes a real, real little cameo as the doctor with the hairy arms. <laughs> That's how he's described. The doctor with hairy arms. Doula is, it looks like it is available for rent on Amazon. I assume other places. I mean, yeah. It'll be, yeah, it'll find itself. Uh, directed, that... directed by Cheryl Nichols, who looks like just has a handful of, um, oh, it looks like she worked on uh, the Goldfinch, the uh, the Amazon original. And uh, yeah, I'm intrigued to check that out. Yeah, it's like I say, the actors will make you think, you know, I wish the people would get more work because they're good, but maybe this is not the subject matter. And it's funny in places, real funny, sad in others too. It sounds like uh, it's got all the all the fixins, all the fixins, and Chris Pine's hairy arms. Yes, what a, a, a distinguished acting credit that is. Well, yeah, and they, they ask him like, "What's your cut rate? What's my cut rate? You know, how often does he <laughs> induce and um, or have a C-section? So, I mean, there it's there is a lot of kind of telling stuff about issues that never ever ever get covered in movies. There is a show that is coming out on Apple TV on July 8th. Blackbird? Who's that? Taron Egerton and Paul Walker Hauser, Ray Liotta, uh, Greg Well, Kinnear. this is the prison thing where they're trying to get him to spill all. Taron Egerton plays a... He's in prison. He's got a 10-year sentence. He's given a, a uh, an offer. If he can get a... A confession out of a killer played by Paul Walter Hauser, then he'll he'll get free. And so what do you do? It's the if you're in prison and you get labeled a snitch, your time is limited. <laughs> yes. I mean Paul Walter Hauser, man. I Tanya. Yep. Richard Jewell, which he was fantastic in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh yeah, he's he's been out there, man. He's one of those guys that like shows up every now and again, and he has a background in comedy as well. He was on like a WTF with Mark Marin, and it just sounded like he is just the biggest fanboy and loves just being on set with all these folks. And also is not accidentally, I mean, he's a talented dude. I'm not like knocking that, but I mean, you just would not expect heavy acting chops coming from this guy. He's like Danny DeVito in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You thought this guy is never going to get any other work. This is like it, because what else can he play? And then you've seen a whole career where there are a lot of things he can play. I think the same thing with him. I think he'll um, he'll have that kind of a career. There's a little Philip Seymour Hoffman to him, but uh, that's going a little too far maybe at this point. But I do see that, you know, there's that kind of arc where he's taking some of those characters that could easily be dismissed and making them something more. So. I have good hopes for this. Produced by Dennis Lehane. So you've got Gone Baby Gone, you know, Shutter Island, Mystic River, all that kind of, uh, I mean, adult drama. So that's one that I'm, I'm looking forward to. I mean, I, I really, I feel like Apple has just been knocking it out of the park lately. Especially with their TV offerings, they have like really, really upped their ante just even this year so far, it seems like with, you know, this coming out or, 
Severance, you know, obviously that had a good run earlier this year. It's probably one of the most talked about TV shows while it was on. So they they are, yeah, as you said, they're killing it. Yep. And I am certainly on record as being a you know huge fan of For All Mankind. Mm-hmm. And the third season of that show is one that they have clearly sunk a ton, a ton of money into. You have not one, not two, but three different spacecraft that are on their way to Mars to see who can get there fastest. And it's just astounding. I mean, some of it is 2001 level, you know, sets and, and effects. And uh, yeah, it's a fantastic, fantastic show and super happy. They didn't win the Oscar for best picture for nothing. <laughs> they got that Oscar, but the morning show was the thing that introduced them to viewers. And the morning show was just kind of, they, they threw all the money into the, the actors and actresses. Uh, not to say that it's a bad show. It's just, it's frothy. Like it, it's, it's just kind of fluffy. It's not. It's, it's nothing. It's, yeah, it's, it's pleasant. You know, it's a, I mean, as a, as a, you know, comedy drama, like it's, it's great. Like it's, it's, it's above average, but it's not, I don't necessarily know if it lived up to the, the dollar sign that's attached to it, but secretly, or maybe not so secretly, you know, they really just have this whole slate of just fantastic stuff. Um, you know, Pachinko and I mean, you mentioned Severance. Yeah, just beautiful stuff. I know that you've gone all in on Gru, but there are some kid kind of films that are out there. Zombies 3 starts this week, and Zombies 3 is like the finish of that trifecta, if you happen to see any of the zombie films. Um, And this time they deal with aliens. So I think that's one to kind of watch if the kids are watching for it. It has a good message, and I think, I think it'll wrap it up. Can you give me a intro course on zombies? Sure. This little town, Seabrook, was kind of, uh, if you will, very, um, very gated, I think is the best term to use. And then nearby, there was this explosion and there are these people turned into zombies and they were trying to be very mean to the zombies and not let them come to the school that they obviously would go to, which would be Seabrook. And so they had to have this kind of come to whatever meeting where the zombies were okay. And then the zombies started dating the Seabrook kids. And, you know, that caused a little rift, a little tension. Then in Zombies 2, werewolves became the outsiders. And now in Zombies 3, it's aliens from another planet. They said if there was going to be an aliens, or I mean a Zombies 4, they would have mermaids, probably be the next thing that they would do. But it's just, you know, kids understanding how, how we are all different and it's a way to bond. It's very, it's pitched as a very kind of adolescent series. It's cute and there's a lot of dancing, a lot of dancing. Boy, these, if you're not a, a dancing zombie, you're nobody. <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's on Disney, uh, Disney Plus and it'll go to Disney Channel after a while. But it's it's one of those things like it's the camp rock of this year. If you're a kid of that age, there is a zombie kid who doesn't speak like the rest of the kids do. He speaks in zombie and you don't know what the world he's saying half the time, but he is fun to watch. And you have to try and figure out what it is that 
this other character has been saying, because he wasn't as refined as Zed is. Zed is the lead zombie who falls in love with Addison, who is the Seabrook cheerleader champion. And then they kind of do a little riff on, on cheer from Netflix, you know, where there's a big competition and they've got to go up against the others. And the alien kids get involved in this. And they have some secrets up their sleeves that the zombie slash human kids don't have. So it's interesting to see. I still think the werewolves are the best dancers. And you see if you don't agree. What is the um, budget for these particular kinds of Disney movies? Because obviously Disney has all the money in the world. But I'm just never clear on these ones like that would have back in the day been like Disney original Movies like what kind of money are they working with? Do you think on on these productions? I don't think it's much because they all are doing everything on this one street. I mean, it's yeah. constantly, constantly on this one street, and it's like, <laughs> does anybody go anywhere else? Probably not. Even the big moonstone is buried in that one street, and the signs look a little shaky on the buildings. So you can see that maybe they didn't spend a lot of money on this, but they did spend a heap of money on choreography. There is choreography up the wazoo with this one. They algorithmically have determined, you know, down to probably the exact nickel and dime, you know, how much money they need to, to throw at something to have it pay off. It's the thing where, like, if you have ever been in a room with a 10 or 11 year old kid, get them talking about Enchanted or, you know, this or any of the other, you know, Disney, you know, type shows. Okay, come on now. You two are in that range. Were you Miley Cyrus fans? Mm -hmm. Hannah Montana, anybody? No, no, no. I was a fan of her as a pop artist. Like Wrecking Ball is where, where I came around on her. So Zach and Cody, they had a big following. The Jonas Brothers had a big following. All of this stuff is led on. And from High School Musicals and Musical, the series, Olivia Rodrigo came from that and she won three Grammys last year. So you see, they are kind of a... What would you call the, in baseball? You'd call that what? A, oh, it's a farm league. Yeah, that's what they're doing is helping build the future for pop stars. Well, they've been doing that all the way since you know Justin Timberlake and Haley Mills and Annette Funicello. If you really want to go back, exactly, exactly. I'm not you know criticizing any of this stuff. It is exactly what it wants to be. All of these shows, all of these you know movies that they're doing, um, and kids that that I've talked to about stuff like this, where it's like you know you're on a trip or something like that with someone's family and you you know you, you strike up a conversation or that's what's on the tv in the background and they love them I mean, they can't get enough so it's working the kids learn the dances they learn the music i mean how many times do you know about kids who could do all the wildcat stuff from high school musical they could well, that's about the time I, I tell a kid to to grow up and to get better tastes you know <laughs> come on time to leave this world of of zombies and high school musicals behind and, you know, and enter the real world of uh, West Side Story, the musical and the movie Zombie 3 by uh, Lucio Fulci, which has beheadings in it. You got to grow up, you know? Yeah. You got to swap stuff out. Yeah. Call me when Disney is, uh, you know, repurposing Harmony Corinne's Trash Humpers for, for children. That's, <laughs> <me>. <laughs> That's what I want to see. I mean, it's the, you know, the same production quality, I think. So. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is with any of these like again because of the you know money they're putting into them and because a bunch of these have done so well even if nine of them don't work all they need is one to hit and they're good they've done it it's the blumhouse model yep yeah and it's also 
if even if one thing doesn't hit on that level, if they can transition one of the stars from it into something else or, you know, spin that off into something, then there you go. Like you were saying, like Bruce, because the werewolves dance the best, are they going to get their own show? Are they going to get their own movie? Are they going to get their own? I think they could. I think they could. You know, you you see how they just kind of pick the the fruits of other films that were successful. So we look at the um, the vampire thing. Uh, Twilight. Twilight. Thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah. You look at that and you say, well, they had werewolves and they had those kind of vampire like people. So could we do something like that? Sure. Let's make them dancing werewolves and we'll have a dance off. And then we'll make them um, football playing zombies. That's good. Walking Dead sounds good. I mean, you can hear these in the pitch meetings. You know, let's let's kind of spitball a few ideas here. And they throw out a few of that stuff and they can, okay. And I think I got some kid who's kind of, he could be good in this. Let's just grab him. I think we'll have him on Dancing with the Stars next year. See what happens. See if he can do anything. We got it. We're good. We got a franchise going here. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so Zombies 3, the third part in, in the series, 88 minutes, starring Meg Donnelly and Milo Mannheim. Milo Mannheim. It's Cameron Mannheim's son. Oh, really? You know, yeah. Huh. Zombies 3, directed by Paul Hohen. So Bruce, we're going to lead into the, uh, the interview that you've got. And uh, what, what can you tell us about, about uh, your, your, your chat with Chris Williams of The Sea Beast? This is going to be, I kid you not, one of the films that you will remember next year for best animated feature, because it is so technically brilliant. I mean, when you look at this, it's un, it feels like you are on a ship. You are sailing with these sailors. And it's, um, Chris Williams won the Oscar for um, Big Hero 6. And he also worked on Moana. But this was kind of a dream of his as a kid. He really wanted to make something that he liked as a kid. He loved King Kong. And he wanted to do something that would show his abilities in that direction. And so he just really dug in. But what they did more than anything is they made sure that everything in this film could actually work. So when you see the ships in this film, they actually could work. Um, when you see the, the sea beast, the big beast that they're looking at, it is possible that there could have been a character like this. There could have been a beast because it's it's based off um, seals and, and whales and all kinds of things that might have happened. And then it also tells a story. And there's a little girl in there, just like Moana, which he also worked on. And um, really some interesting things. I was mesmerized by this, but just the technical aspect of the whole thing is wonderful. So I got a chance to talk to Chris Williams, the director of the film, and he says right now he's at that stage where I could probably play Xbox for the rest of my life because I'm so tired from making this film. But um, he tells you about the details that are needed to understand just how much work goes into an animated feature like this. So it's Chris Williams, director of The Sea Beast. Stick around for that. We will be back on the tail end to say our goodbyes. So here is Chris Williams, the director of The Sea Beast. We made it. We're here, right? <laughs> isn't that the not nothing? Isn't that the way it goes? I heard you had computer problems, so I was worried about that. So 
Yeah, sorry for a little a little delayed. For some reason, my I had to switch computers. My other one died on me. So, um, it, but here we are. We're persevering. That that's the way it goes. Well, let me ask you. You've done Moana. Why did you need to do more water? What's the deal? The deal is I don't learn my lesson. Uh, <laughs> I don't I don't recommend setting an animated movie on water. But I seem to have, I seem to not be able to stop. Has water always been kind of a holy grail for animators? Are they, you know, because that seems so difficult. I remember back to the days of Snow White and uh, Pinocchio and all those where water was a hard thing to do. Yeah. And now? Yeah, it's it it's getting easier, I suppose, with the advent of, of new technologies and things. Um, and I, I can I can cite examples. Like I worked on uh, Big Hero 6 where we had to be very conscious of any contact with water. It created real challenges. Uh, then worked on Moana, where obviously there's there's a lot of water water interaction, but we still had to be a little cognizant of how often we had our characters going in and out of the water on screen, and uh, and then here we are making the Sea Beast, where I'm, you know most of the movie takes place on the water, as you know lots of characters going in and out of the water constantly, and so it just it really just it, we asked then the folks on the technology front to to uh, develop the software so that it allows for it. And, and the, the, the nice thing, there's, there's, there's a culture in this relatively small world of, of, of uh, the, in the animation community where they really love a challenge. People love pushing the art form, right? And so when people hear that something's going to be hard or never done before, they don't shrink from it. They don't run away from it. You know, they run towards it. And that's why you see, I think, this incredible development in an evolution in, in animation over the past couple decades. It looks almost like you just shot it as photography. Right, yeah. Is that good? Or do you guys say, well, no, it should be a little bit pulled back so that people get the idea that it is animation? Well, that's a big question in animation is what is the level of caricature? What's the level of stylization? And there's a choice to be made there, right? And there are some movies that, are, that where the, the style of the look and the, and, the, and the movement is much more caricatured and pushed like, um, the Hotel Transylvania, Transylvania movies or Cloud of the Chance of Meatball movies, um, they, they're much more broad, which is great. That serves those stories. Um, and then you can have movies that are much more photoreal for, for or, or you can have animation that is, that is almost hiding in Marvel movies, you know what I mean? Where it's intended sure. to look, for the, where the physics and the characters are meant to look very photoreal, right? And, and you have to figure out where you are in that spectrum. And for us, we did want this world to feel very plausible and realized and complete. And we also wanted a sense of danger and peril. So we wanted the, the gravity and the physics of it to feel a little more grounded, uh, but we didn't want it to be so restrictive and so tight that it wasn't joyful and wasn't fun. So we tried to find our place where we were in that spectrum and, and, and then articulate it and stick with it through the course of the story. So how long have you been living with this story, this idea, this concept? Has it been a long time? And you said, I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to make this. <laughs> you know what? One of these days is exactly right. Um, and it, it's, it's not an exaggeration to say that there's, this one has been slowly gestating over the course of almost my entire life. <laughs> because when I was a kid, I loved King Kong was the movie that I, even more than Star Wars, I loved King Kong. And there's something about the uncharted island, the mysteries beyond the horizon. Um, and I love the, the Ray Harryhausen stop motion films like the Sinbad movies, Clash of the Titans, those kind of things. Raiders of the Lost Ark was a massive moment in my life. 
Um, and then Lawrence of Arabia, things like that. Those movies were the movies that, that made me want to make movies. And, and I used to make little stop motion movies with my dad um, in my bedroom. And I was trying my best to approximate those things and failing, but trying. And, uh, and, and so here we are, you know, many, many decades later, um, and I'd been fortunate enough to work on, on, on lots of movies that I'm proud of, but I felt just this, this itch. I wanted to scratch. I wanted to make a pure action adventure story, like the ones that I loved as a kid and, and really something that felt like a really classic adventure story. Um, and so uh, we embarked to make the Sea Beast, which it was also fueled by my love of those old maps, those incomplete right, maps right, right. where they would, they would populate those, those big swaths of ocean with the sea monsters. Um, that was, that was really uh, intriguing to me and, and compelling. And, and so that was a great starting point to try to exercise this desire to make a, a really classic adventure story. Did it turn out to be the way you wanted it to be? Or do you go, eh, there's still room for another, another story? <laughs> well, people are now asking for another story, which is nice. People have already started talking about a sequel, which is like, I, I, I'm still tired from the last one. I'm not ready to, to jump yeah. into another movie just yet. Um, but the, I would say that, that with this one early on, I was pretty clear that I wanted to make something really big and ambitious. Um, and I wanted to make, I wanted to cast a spell, bring the audience into this world and make it feel really real to them. And, and, and the story was going to be a big sprawling story that was going to go in a lot of different places. Um, and, and, and even tones and, and emotions. I wanted to go, I wanted to make this really big. And that's easy for a director to say, you know, <laughs> it's the crew that has to actually execute right. it, make it come into being. And, 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 I, and I am happy to say that, that it, it did live up to my expectations. They, they met every challenge, you know, the, just, just designing and building one of these tall ships virtually is, it's a small miracle. You know, I've, I've never seen anything like that in animation before. It looks and, like you could actually sail them, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a product, that, that's a lot of things. It starts with research. Um, we really need to understand these ships and how they work. And so it meant us going to these ships, spending time on these ships. Now I get really seasick, so we never went out to sea. <laughs> they were moored, but they were the ships and we got to tromp around and, and pull on ropes and try to figure out how they actually work, right? And, and, and then we had a great consultant in this, in a, a guy named Gordon Lacko, who was the consultant of Master and Commander. Master and Commander is really held up by, by people who love sure. these, these ships as, as, as the quintessential example of an accurate portrayal of life at sea, um, and and he was the consultant for for that movie, and so knowledgeable and so passionate, and so I would turn to him constantly for for to to, to get a better sense of of how the ships worked, how the crews worked, the, the weaponry, the tactics, and so as you watch the movie, there's so many little things that audiences might not see consciously, but they pick up unconsciously. There's something about it that feels plausible. So when, for our, our big action scenes, especially that big opening set piece action scene, we worked out on a map where everything was throughout the course of the entire thing, according, and, and we always knew the wind direction, right? Because wind direction is critical. And so the ship's maneuvers, what the crew was actually doing on the ship was always accurate to the, the, to the extent that we could make it accurate. Um, and what the rigging is doing, what the sails are doing, how they're filling with wind, that was all true as best we can make it true 
to to um, uh, uh, to what it would have been like if it was an actual ship. And I think you do kind of feel it. You know, the audience feels. Oh it. yeah. But where does somebody come in and say, I thought there would be no math in this. This this <laughs> almost seems like it's too mathematical for me. You know, where is the artistry in this? <laughs> well, you know what? No, it, there's this incredible balance. You know, we, we have this crew of hundreds of people that dedicate years of their life to this thing. Right. And 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 I don't take that for granted. And you so you have but you have this incredible composite of all these people who are good at so many different things. And no one person can explain to you how an animated movie gets done. You know what I mean? The director can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. We are so reliant on each other. And that's why it's the most collaborative art form that there is. There's nothing else like it. And so I work with people who are math geniuses and computer science geniuses. And so I can say, I want to make a virtual tall ship and make it fight sea monsters. And then they get to work executing my- Now you do it. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Now, please make that happen. Well, what about the beasts, though? How do you decide what they're going to look like? Was that your view from when you were a kid? This is how they should look? Or, you know, was it a lot of trial and error? And why were they red and blue? <laughs> okay, one at a time. Uh, I'll, the, 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 it, it is a product. Of, it's a collab. Everything's a collaboration animation. And we work with, with great designers. But the first thing we do is we do our research. Um, you can't just design willy nilly uh, because it is a physical world. We have a sense of what make of what makes sense, and and um, and and so we and we we've we've seen large sea mammals, right? Sure. And and so you have to start with by looking at that and looking at nature, and so we we looked at walruses and sea lions and seals, creatures that were that could be on land but were more comfortable in the water. And we also, of course, looked at things like whales and stuff like that. Um, but we, that was the physiology that made sense, right? And so you start there and then you start to build and imagine on top of that. And one of the things that we realized right away is any creature that pushes through the water will, it, in its form, will try to be as frictionless as possible. So it's gonna be very streamlined, right? And, and, and so that was a, a real starting point for us. And so you start to see that in the designs, right? That you could get a sense they all could push through the water. And, and then it starts to become a collaboration. Once we have the foundation of, of actual practical things that make sense, then we work with the designers, we go back and forth and we try to create creatures that, that serve the story, right? So if we want a, a ferocious looking creature in, a, in a, an exciting action scene, we'll push that direction. Uh, for our our main monster, the the creature we call Red, Red um, yeah. we we knew we wanted a character that has certain uh, a feeling of almost like a wisdom or a majesty to them, and so we looked to lions and the way that they carry themselves, and and you. But there's you a dinosaur it, kind of feel too, isn't there? Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm -hmm. It's sort of an apex predator. We wanted something that's also scary, so you, we we look at the that the, the killer whales and dinosaurs as apex predators. Uh, we're, we're definitely an influence as well. Um, and why red? Why the color red? You know what that was? It was, I mean, sometimes it's like, it's like, well, you got to pick a color. But in this case, it was like the, we, our, our um, production designer, uh, Matthias Lechner had a great idea, which was he wanted to create this feeling of natural enemies and a connection between our main monster and our main ship. So it was his idea uh, to dye the, the ship sails red. And to make our monster red, and you got a sense that that, that this was the ultimate uh, monster and the ultimate ship, and you got a sense 
there was color wise, color script wise, the audience got an unconscious feeling that they, they were on a collision course. There was an inevitability uh, to to their to to them being um, uh, to that to 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 the conflict. And, okay, uh, so then the little blue one is that just because it was different? Yeah, yeah. We, at a certain point, you're like, well, we want to we want to separate. We want sort of visual variety, right? Blue um, is good. <laughs> and there was some, there was some fun in just the fact that Maisie was naming them, but just sort of naming them according to their color, and uh, so we couldn't have two red ones. <laughs> Right. You, no, no, no. Please don't confuse me. This is not good. Right. <laughs> well, then at another point, you also have somebody whose tattoos move. Mm. Is that a is that a shout out to Moana? <laughs> no, I think it was it was a very different use of it. It was just a it was a brief moment as opposed to like a power. Um, and it was whereas in Moana, we used it quite a bit as far as to sort of uh, pull out Maui's personality and 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 have almost another character in the movie, um, where and is used in, in generally a more playful way. This one was used briefly in a in a more um, uh, in a spooky sort of way. Sure, um, sure. That's more about that that specific moment in time and that circumstance than saying anything about the character. Well, it's it's a marvel to look at this. It's just really an artistic marvel to see. Are you just you just say, I don't want to do anything now for a while, or are you, this is it. <laughs> there, there always is a point for me in all these movies where I think this is it. This is my last one. I can't do this again. It's just too much. Cause it does, it does take a lot out of you. It's, it's long days and, and, and a, a lot of difficult decision-making. And, and as I said, you, you involve hundreds of other people who are investing years of their life. And, and it's a it's a big investment and, and a big risk, you know, and, and it has to pay off. And so there's a lot of stress associated with that. And so there was a point where I was like, I think this might be it for me. I don't know if I can make another one of these. And then you finish and th things start to taper off and you finish it and you're proud of it. And you've had a great experience with your crew. And then you kind of take a couple of weeks playing Xbox or whatever. And then it's like, well, I'm bored. <laughs> and this is what I do. It's all I know. And it's the only thing I'm good at. And, uh, and so I'm starting to think about um, what, what may come next. I'm, oh, well, please do. Please have somebody come next. You don't need to do Xbox. You're too much of that. And <laughs> rest for a week and you're good. But thank you so much and congratulations. It's a, a real marvel, I Thanks. think. I'm, that, that really means a lot. Like, I, I'm not just saying that. It's, you know, we, we work so hard, we invest so much. And, and people like you are some of the first people who get to see it, right? And you're, you're our first audience. And we're getting such great reactions that it, it, it really kind of, uh, it's very emotional, honestly. So thank you so much. Yeah, you had me at ropes. Just looking <laughs> at the ropes was enough. So, hey, thank you so much, Chris. Appreciate it. And thank good you. luck. All right. Well, that, that was Chris Williams talking with Bruce Miller. So that's going to do it for us for this episode. You can find us on all the uh, places where you find things. Jared McNett has a podcast on Iowa politics. He's one of the, uh, is it one of the trio? Oh, no, there's more than that at this point. We're, we're adding uh, more and more people every week. Uh, pretty soon we'll have the uh, entire state of Iowa will be on the uh, on Iowa politics podcast. Retitle it the straw poll, right? That's the, yes. uh, so you can find that. I'm sure we'll have links to that in, in the show notes. Uh, we'll have links to all the movies that we talked about. Uh, go check those out. Links to where you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and MySpace and Friendster and all those other, you know, hot, hot beds of, of activity for 
uh, everyone. So, Jared? Yes. You want to take us out, man? Yeah. It's the summer of Gru now. It, that's clear. We Gru has spoken. And what Gru wants you to do is to hang around at home because Gru doesn't want you to get hot. Um, make sure the AC is on, you know, if you're hanging around at home. Uh, and uh, stream something good from the comfort of your own home. Maybe one of the Despicable Me movies that you haven't watched in the past day. You can watch it again. Or uh, you can go to your local Cineplex and uh, see Minions, uh, The Rise of Gru. Uh, you can screen something good there. So, you know, Gru, Gru all day, every day, all seasons, every season. Thank you so much. Yes, Gru. Gru. We'll be back next week with more stuff. I think we're going to be doing, rounding up our, uh, our top, top films of the, of the half year so far. So definitely subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, and also subscribe because we'll have a little bonus episode where we'll be talking about the best time of day to go to a theater, to go to a, a, a you know, cinematic or theatrical function. And uh, we'll also just kind of be shouting out some of our favorite stuff that is uh, not related to new releases. So thanks so much. Uh, subscribe, find us all the places and uh, see something good. If you're not a, a dancing zombie, you're nobody.